Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sunday Soccer Show with Schmidt and Greg. Presented to you by the Patterns of Play podcast. We are coming to you on a Tuesday because, again, it's our podcast. We get to do what we want, uh, but also because life is utter nonsense right now due to COVID and due to scheduling things all over the place. So, Schmitty, how are you on this Tuesday night? I'm good, man. I'm I'm doing a little better than than you were the other night, not having any headaches or anything. So I'm uh, I'm glad you're feeling better. The interwebs and just needing to do things all online just leads to these constant, constant head spirals. So um, I say that as we were doing a Zoom while we're recording this, and I've been staring at my screen all day yet again, uh, please, COVID, go away so that we can be in person again uh, and just not have to do this anymore. Schmitty, I think today we can certainly touch on a lot that would happened in the Premier League. We can make our weekly discussion around VAR uh, and how much we hate it. Um, today, now that we're recording on Tuesday, we can definitely touch base a little bit about what happened in the Champions League. Uh, and I think there are a couple other games that are out there, like the Milan Derby, um, that would be a good one to touch base about as well. So, Schmidt, get us started with the Premier League. Plenty happened. Uh, where do you want to go first? I think I think the obvious place is Liverpool-Everton. Uh, so much happened in this game itself. So much is going to happen as a result of this game. Uh, thanks to VAR, things that should have happened didn't happen. Um, it was just wild. Uh, we talked about last week a couple matches to keep our eye on for this coming uh, weekend in the Premier League that just wrapped up. You know, we highlighted Liverpool, Everton. We highlighted Spurs, West Ham as the Derbies. And to start off the weekend, Liverpool, Everton delivered. This game was awesome. Uh, back and forth. Uh, Liverpool took the lead twice. Everton pegged them back twice. Really physical. Tackles flying in left and right. If you were looking for an advertisement for Premier League football, I, I'm not sure you could have gotten a better one. Maybe Spurs, West Ham, just in terms of the craziness that happened in that game. But uh, I think this was an this was an incredible game that is going to have incredible implications for the rest of the league based on a couple things that happened. So I think the big one and where I'll start is. Virgil van Dyke suffers a, a pretty bad injury in this game. And I think at the time, everybody knew it was a pretty serious injury. So he receives the ball in the penalty area. Pickford comes out, just completely hacks him down. Pickford faces no punishment because van Dyke was offside. So VAR punishes van Dyke for being offsides, but completely lets Pickford away, uh, get away with murdering him. And at the time of the game, I think, Everybody kind of knew the injury wasn't great since the game. Certainly last 48 hours or so, it's been confirmed. Van Dyke's got an ACL tear. Liverpool have left him out of their Premier League squad. He's probably not playing this season in the league, which is a massive, massive blow to Liverpool. Has implications on the rest of the league just in terms of 
if you're any of those other top six teams, you've got to smell blood in the water now because Liverpool's defense without Van Dyke is just not as good. There's, there's no getting around it. Uh, Matip and Gomez are not bad defenders, but they're not best defender on planet Earth level. So if you're one of those other top six clubs, you're looking at this as a huge opportunity. Um, and then the last bit of drama, and then I'll kind of let you jump in. We'll discuss the uh, Van Dyke injury. Sadio Mane squares a ball to Hendo in like the 92nd minute. Henderson scores by shooting right at Pickford and Pickford in a grand example of universal karma messes up the save and it goes in. And then VAR comes in out of nowhere. The commentators on NBC literally couldn't even believe they were checking it. And then sure as anything, goal gets chalked off for Mane being, I don't know, a fingernail off sides. I've looked at the replay like 80 times and I cannot see how you can determine that he's passed the defenders in the build up to that goal. So VAR rubbing salt in the wounds doesn't intervene and send off Pickford when it should have does intervene to take away a goal that I think 99% of soccer fans out there, if they watch it, it would be like, yep, that's a good goal. So just all over the place, crazy result, crazy implications from this game. What are your thoughts on it? I looking at Liverpool, how they've started the year, the three wins, one draw in this game. And then the big loss that they had um, against, was it Leicester where they got Villa or Villa uh, where they got absolutely smacked. So they have a 13 goal scored 13 goal given up. They have a zero plus minus that is now going to potentially plummet. Um, with Van Dyke being out. Yes, they're going to still score goals, but now they're going to give them up some more. They're going to change their tactics because they were trying to play a high line this year with their high press. I guarantee you Klopp is going to change this team now into a full-on counter-attacking team um, with the likes of those speedy players. And you know you might not see the Gengen press as much with them just because they don't have the players behind the ball with Van Dyke being out. My thoughts on how VAR is being used and how decisions are made on certain plays is um, with Van Dyke just being absolutely murdered by Pickford. I, one, uh, myself and Julia were watching this game. Julia, my fiance, is an athletic trainer, immediately said he tore his ACL. So that's... (laughs) That's something that's good to have with you when you have a medical person next to you who can basically determine injuries just by looking at them. Um, I don't understand how Pickford doesn't get penalized in this situation because there are situations where things happen when people are out of bounds, um, you know, not in the playing field when something happens. Uh, and they get carted or they get sent off. There's things that happen when the games aren't even occurring. Eric Dyer going into the stands and things getting done to players retroactively. And you're telling me that a goalkeeper who has completely <clears throat> ruined a player's season. And I mean, hopefully with ACL repairs now, it's not going to be a career anymore, but ruined things in a very negative way he doesn't get penalized. I just don't understand that. Uh, 
the VAR thing just it pops its head up every week. How are you calling players offsides when they are clearly in line with a defender or a body part that is not like no bigger than a millimeter or two long being out of play? Um, it just, it ruins the game. There have been so many things that have been done that just absolutely are ruining how everything is going. I mean, it, it popped up in the Fulham game. It led to them tying with Mitrovic, both players going to kick a ball. One player gets his foot there, you know, a half a second before him, Mitrovic gets it right after it. And he's like barely skimming the side of his foot. Like, they they came out what was it two weeks ago saying that they were gonna be allowed they were allowing the referees to make more of a judgment call on some of these yet they're not they're still not making any any type of judgment on it they're sticking to the rules so that's probably the Premier League coming out and saying oh this is what we've done to try and fix it but then behind the, everyone's back and behind you know closed doors they're telling the refs don't change what you're doing that's my thought yeah. on those two things. I think the VAR thing is so frustrating. And, and just a reminder for people listening, because I know that you and you and I tend to talk about VAR as if this it's like the Borg, it's like this nebulous, you know, replay in the sky. But VAR is video assistant referee. The, the VAR system is another referee who's sitting in a room where he has access to all these TV monitors and replays. The problem with, with the Premier League's implementation is that that video assistant referee is still reluctant to change calls in some scenarios because he doesn't want to embarrass the center referee who missed the call in the first place. On offsides, that's typically, you know, they typically don't have any reservations about changing a call on the field for offsides. But I was talking to another kind of group chat of soccer players, you know, I grew up with, played against, played with in high school. And a couple of them are Liverpool fans and their reaction to it was just, it kills your enthusiasm to watch a game. Like as a fan, when you know that any moment can be so badly fumbled and mishandled, any goal can be taken away. Any situation can just be completely bonkers in how it's, how it's uh, resolved as a fan, you're like, why am I going to waste two hours of my morning on a Saturday, one of my two days I'm not working, to watch my team play well, snatch what probably on the basis of the day was a deserved victory, and then have it brought back for a, a call that's so borderline. You got to remember, too, like our generation, the generation above us, the generation above them that grew up playing and watching soccer we all existed in a time where the offsides rule was basically like the base runner rule in baseball tie goes to the attacker. If it's too close to call, you let them play. You don't, you don't stick the flag up. And now we've gotten to a point where we can use VAR to get like pixel precise offsides calls, but we're not going to use VAR to re-examine a situation where had the offsides flag not gone up, it would have been a red card and a penalty a hundred percent on Pickford. And I don't want to like pile on Pickford because, you know, it was a bad tackle. A lot of players can make bad tackles. You saw Rich Charleston already apologize for his on Tiago, which thankfully didn't injure Tiago. 
I'm sure Pickford feels horrendously that he injured a fellow professional to that extent. But like just this season, Manchester United were awarded a penalty after the final whistle. And you're telling me you can't go back and look at a situation 30 seconds later in a game that was obvious, serious foul play that resulted in the injury of a player. You can't look at that and reevaluate it and, and make a call. I mean, they literally, Pickford literally got away with injuring the opponent's best player with an illegal tackle, and it was fine because that player was offsides. I don't get it. Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling the way that they're implementing it. It is very disheartening um, in a lot of situations where these players, um, you know, the, the way that I heard it on, I think, either on NBC sports or, or something when they were talking about it after, after a game where a situation came up, it's basically like everyone's holding their breath after the ball goes in and like, you, you can't even celebrate something because at any given point it could be brought back. And then it's like, Oh, cool. Like they let us score. Um, it's almost more like they are allowing teams to score goals, not the teams are going and scoring goals. Uh, so again, they either need to make a decision. They either need to come out and say like, this is what it's going to be this year, but we will readdress this after the season, or they need to make a decision now on what they're going to do with these type of calls and how they're going to use it more properly. Because right now it just seems like, every week something comes up so you know i'm sure they won't do anything um and hopefully they'll do something after the season we kind of have to just deal with it this year uh but it's definitely super frustrating uh, just to be as a fan and and i'm sure all the teams are frustrated as we've seen multiple coaches and players come out after games saying that it needs to change so that was the first one where should we go from there, Mr. Schmidt? Uh, again, I think obvious place, and not just because I'm a Spurs guy, but Spurs-West Ham was another absolutely insane game. The stereotypical tale of two halves kind of game. Spurs came out the gate absolutely on fire, scored three goals in the first, like, 17 minutes, uh, and then kind of proceeded to take their foot off the gas. Second half, made some substitutions, got bail on for his debut, which I'll talk about a little bit more detail. Uh, I didn't think I didn't think he did as poorly as people are suggesting he did, but um, you know, Mourinho makes some changes in the second half, and within the final ten minutes from the 82nd minute on, West Ham score three goals, one off a set piece, one off a known goal. And one being probably one of the greatest hits I've ever seen and definitely the best shot Lanzini will ever hit in his life uh, to tie it up. And it was just insane. And I had a moment where, because we're all texting about this, obviously, as it's going on in our group chat. And I had a moment where I consciously prevented myself from specifically calling out West Ham and making a joke about them because in my brain I was like you're Tottenham you could definitely blow a 3-0 lead there's a lot of time 
And as as I'm seeing this unfold afterwards, I'm like, it's a good thing I didn't say it. So now I know that I'm not the cause of Spurs blowing a three-goal lead. But a couple notable things about that turnaround. Uh, West Ham, first team ever to overturn a 3-0 deficit beginning as late as the 81st minute in a game in Premier League history. So that's kind of cool bit of trivia. If you're a West Ham fan, I'm sure you're a big fan of that. Um, from a Spurs perspective, it's obviously embarrassing to drop a three-goal three goal lead and end up tying a game. That being said, if there was a week to do it, this was probably the week to do it. Chelsea, Arsenal, and Liverpool all points. So in the grand scheme of things, it's not necessarily going to kill you. Even Everton, who are kind of on top, drop points as well. Um, from a Bale perspective, I'm seeing a lot of people say that he missed a sitter in the 91st minute. I'd like to debate, if you will, Greg, the definition of a sitter, because when we played, a sitter was not running 80 yards, dukeying two defenders, and then taking a shot under pressure and happening to miss. A sitter is like when the ball gets squared to you on the six and you shoot it over the goal. That's a sitter. Yes. I can't believe that people are like, oh, my God, Bale missed a sitter. What a bum. I'm like, he ran the length of the field and absolutely sauced two defenders and then gets a shot away in his first competitive game in God knows how long, and that's a sitter. No, that's just a guy who's out of form. He's been golfing for like three months. He hasn't actually played soccer. But I thought I thought Bale did okay. I think Spurs' attack continues to be incredible. Son and Kane are absolute monsters. Son's contract is getting extended, I think, this week. Uh, they're crazy if they're not offering him the same money as Kane at this point because he's just as valuable. Uh, but, yeah, just worrying from a Spurs fan perspective because our defense kind of choked it. But if you were just watching this game as a fan of the game, it, it, it delivered in terms of, of a rival match 100%. Yeah, it was super entertaining. I got to, I did watch a fair bit of this one. Um, you know, them going up three nothing. You could see the, I mean, honestly, their play through about 60 minutes of this game. Unfortunately, they, they kind of fell apart when Bale did come on. Um, it's kind of when everything went uh, the wrong direction. Uh, not sure. I'm not saying that that is any way contributing to the factors because. Um, uh, I'll get into a little bit of what I think needs to change for them, but uh, the first 60 to 70 minutes showed why you bring a guy like Mourinho in and why you have these pieces of the puzzle because Hoiberg looks really good for them in that holding midfield role and how he is, yeah. you know, the one who shields, the one who builds um, and helps them transition. Like you said, the front three, uh, are incredible and now with Bale once he gets some games under him I just they're going to score a lot of goals um, the two things that I think need to change are and what's really surprising is from team uh, Mourinho coach team is you know you give up a set piece on a ball in the wide area that's coming in outside of the 18 like free header got to do a little bit more with preparing and, and staying in the zone, staying focused in on those set pieces late in the game, because that's how you let teams back in. Um, that's kind of what started this three goal spree for them. 
And then you're basically letting Lanzini score on the last goal of the game because you decided to foul in an area that you didn't need to foul because he's, again, in the wide area, outside of the 18. Don't foul there. Just keep him out wide. Don't need to do anything. You're organized inside. Um, so it's, I don't know if that comes down to a, a, a bit of nerves, a bit of um, just not fully prepared for those moments. Uh, but I think if they can clean up set pieces and they just can clean up decision-making, this team has a lot to offer in now a table that is very much wide open. Like we already talked about with, with Liverpool, um, you know, right now it's Everton and Austin Villa at the top of the table uh, with Man City winning, but they're in 11th. So they're nowhere in sight right now. Chelsea's below you right now. Arsenal is playing well right now, but they just dropped points as well. So it could be a year where it, it, it is wide open and it could be a year where this is coming down to the very last day, which would be so entertaining because we haven't had that since Man City did it on the final day. So my takeaways from this, from a, from a Spurs perspective is they're still in a really good position. And my other takeaway from this, from a Premier League fan and observer perspective is it's going to be really fun to keep watching some of these games each and every week, because I have no idea who could potentially win this year. Uh, It's not like last year where we very much knew very quickly that Liverpool were going to run the table uh, and the year before with, with city doing pretty much the same thing Uh, this year seems like it's a year where, parody is very much there and it's going to allow for a lot of fun um games each and every week yeah 100 percent. and i the one thing i'll go back to i think you're absolutely right uh in terms of what cost spurs in this game and something that they just have to overall improve because it's been something that's bit them in in big moments in games for years now is just the decision making um you mentioned the bail substitution I think Bale's getting unfairly scapegoated because, quite frankly, what killed us is losing control of midfield when Ndombele came off. And Winks comes on. And again, I'm, I'm not one of those guys who likes to just, you know, rag on Harry Winks all the time. He's, he's not an exciting player, but he normally doesn't do anything that bad. He's perfectly serviceable. But in a game like that, you know, Mourinho's options off the bench, he didn't have that go on and kill the game option on the bench. He didn't have the lamella that he can just put on to foul people and kill time and be annoying. Um, His substitutions weren't really the type that we needed. And you talked about decision-making. REA's at fault for fouling Snodgrass in the wide area, like you said, completely unnecessary. Winks is at fault for not just booting the ball when it comes down to him because he tries to do one of these, oh, I'll poke it around this defender and then I'll carry out a counterattack by myself in the 94th minute for no reason. And when he takes that tap touch to try to do that, instead of just sending it into Rosie, since he won't hit any fans anyway, Lanzini is able to latch onto that loose ball. And again, odds of Lanzini hitting that shot, astronomically terrible, but you gave him the opportunity to do it because you did something dumb. If I was Jose, if I went into that locker room, I'd be throwing things because it's just basic. What do you coach your players on late in the game? Bouncing ball, get rid. Don't give them the chance to have a a hero moment happen. So 
I, I agree. I think decision-making right now is holding this team back. That being said, league is wide open this year. If they can keep scoring and just figure out a way, I don't know, to maybe only concede one goal a game. If you have Son and Bale and Kane scoring three or four goals a game, you don't even have to keep a clean sheet. Just don't give up three. So I think it's it's manageable. The, the mistakes they're making are mental mistakes. Those are easy to cut out. I'm excited to see where this team goes, especially with the state of the league. Um, so overall, you know, bad result leaves a bad taste in the mouth, but not disastrous uh, in the grand scheme of things. For sure. And uh, like we said, this this year seems to be wide open. Um, some of the other m- games were, you know, Chelsea, Southampton, 3-3 tie with uh, Westgard having a late game tying goal for Southampton in that one. City did beat Arsenal uh, in a, a close matchup between uh, Pep and Arteta um, with the master coming out over the pupil on that one. Uh, Fulham got their first point, which was exciting. Woo! Uh, Austin Villa continued to play really well, beating Leicester 1-0 with a 90-minute um, finish goal from uh, Ross Barkley. So there seems to be just a lot of fun going on. My last thing about the Premier League that I want to get your thought on is, and seeing today from them too, is Manchester United. They seem to be bringing back Fergie Ball because a lot of their goals are now coming in like the 80th minute and beyond with even a lot of them coming in extra time to start this year. Have they just put in a mindset that they are going to wear teams down and then pounce really late because they you know they were what were they tied with um they were tied with newcastle for basically the entire game and then they put three by them in the 86th and beyond and then they won this game today in the champions league against psg i believe in the 90th minute as well so what are they doing like is soshkar trying to just embody Fergie ball or are they just incompetent and can't score? <laughs> I think it's, I think it's largely coincidental. Um, I think after the, after the Spurs game where they lost big, they kind of benefited from the like media attacking us siege mentality kind of thing, which, you know, Fergie definitely was a big proponent of, getting his teams in that mindset. Mourinho does it. Lots of coaches lean into that type of energy. Uh, I think in this case, they were just, I think they were always going to win that game and it just happened to take them a long time to, to get the goals in. Um, against PSG today, I think same thing. They looked good for large periods of the game that, you know, Rashford just happens to take his chance when he took his chance. Um I think the Newcastle result is important for them. That was a big bounce back game for them. I think if they had failed to win it, it would have been very frustrating and a lot of difficult questions would be being asked right now. I think they've kind of taken the pressure off a little bit by doing that. Uh, But I mean, it's always a handy thing to have in your team late goals. Obviously they can, you know, steal points for you when you don't deserve them or they can get you the points that you do deserve against a team that's you know really just throwing themselves in front of the goal so i think it's a good it's a good result for them in a lot of ways psychologically i think it'll help them a lot um i won't go as so far as to give solskjaer credit for 
intentionally scoring late in games or instilling that mentality in them. I think he still has a long way to go as a manager and a lot to learn before we can accuse him of emulating Fergie tactics. <laughs> I think you're right. It's it's probably just coincidence. It just seems like I was thinking about it as we I was looking through the game stuff and kind of preparing for this and just being like, they seem to like to leave things late. It kind of reminds me a little bit of those old Fergie teams, but for sure there's probably more in the lines of they're just not putting away goals early and they're leaving it late to, to make some, to make some results. So um, we'll move on uh, from the Premier League, do a quick stop in Serie A before we talk about Champions League, uh, Serie A and, and La Liga. Uh, I want to kind of touch base with these two really quickly because the top of the tables do not look like they should potentially be looking with uh, right now. Top two in, in Italy is AC Milan and Sassuolo which Sassuolo is a team that has been on the rise over the past few years coming out of Serie B uh, and consistently growing as a club. AC Milan has been a club that I think I mentioned in our last episode that has been wallowing in mid-table to low-table um, for, oh my God, it's been quite a while. While, a while they, they have gone through so many coaches over the past, I want to say at least 10 years. Um, and it's been a really rough go for them since, uh, you know, the last time that they had won the league was when Zlatan was on the team prior. And so he had then played for at least one or two other teams before coming back. It, actually, he's played for at least three because it was uh, PSG, Man United, LA Galaxy, and there might be another one before he even came back to them. Uh, but they are at the top of the table. And I find that to be something that is really exciting because I have missed them in the likes of a Champions League, being a team that was so successful in the, in the you know, early 2000s um, and the 90s with that the team that they had, the likes of those players that they had winning Champions League titles, winning Serie A. Um, so seeing them back, beating Inter Milan in the Milan Derby was a huge step for them. They're still undefeated, only given up one goal, in, which was in this one for Lukaku to score. Um, so I'm excited to see them battling for, at the top of the table again. Not sure if you're someone who follows the, the Serie A at all, but I just think, again, it, it's another you know, reminiscent of what we're saying about the Premier League. It's another league that you might not see Juventus run away with the title this year. Um, and I think the more you can see leagues that are competitive like this with, I mean, the top six being all very close to start the season and then the next five teams being pretty close to that top group as well. That's exciting to me. So um, that was one thing, and, and I'll kind of give you two things, and then you can get your thoughts on it here. Uh, the other league with uh, La Liga, which is typically dominated by Real Madrid and Barcelona, right now Real Sociedad and Villarreal are the top two teams in that league with Real Madrid right behind them. Uh, Atletico, a team, is 
you know, typically towards the top, they're in eighth. Barcelona, they are in ninth. Valencia, you know, teams that are typically up there is uh, in 13th. So another league that very much to start the year is wide open. Um, Do you think that with these two, Premier League, and I don't know the Bundesliga off the top of my head, I could look at that too. That's Bundesliga is usually one that is very much similar from top to bottom across the whole season. But with these two, do you think it's better for the growth of this, the game in those areas, but also the growth of those leagues internationally that there is more parity? Or would you say it might be better when, you know, the top teams that the, like the, you know, and United States people know, like the Barcelona's, the Juventus's, those teams dominate. Which way do you think is better? Yeah, I, I feel like you're always going to have, the reality of the situation is you're always going to have the gigantic name recognition of like a Barcelona and Real Madrid. I don't know that having kind of a topsy-turvy season in in a league like Serie A or La Liga is going to necessarily you know, convert a bunch of people to be fans of those random teams that pop up. I still think you're going to see the, the big powerhouse clubs uh, dominate because as you said, like a club like Milan from Serie A, they have such a rich footballing history that like them being good again. Now you'd be tempted to be like, you know, they're a hipster team to follow, but they're really not. They're legends of the European game and they had, some of the best players to ever grace a pitch play for them, you know, barely over a decade and a half ago. So yeah, I think it's good for the game of soccer and it's good just from a European football perspective to have those leagues be a little bit more competitive than they normally are. And Serie A is, is at least a little bit closer Uh, typically than, you know, La Liga. La Liga typically becomes a two-horse race very, very quickly. Serie A, you have a bunch of teams now. The the Milan teams, Napoli, Lazio, Juventus. There's a bunch of decent, consistently good teams in that league that even though Juve typically kind of has the stamina to outlast some of those other clubs, they put up a pretty good fight every year. So I think... Serie A is actually one of the more competitive at the top leagues in Europe right now um, and has been for the last couple of seasons. So I think it's good. I'm, I'm definitely in the same camp as you. It's exciting to see a team like Milan that has so much history and is so kind of like legendary in, in terms of their status. It is nice to see them kind of making a comeback and being top of mind in soccer fans' heads again. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, I think, um, at least for me, you know, families from Italy um, have that background. And my family, actually, who came over, grandmother came over from Italy, grew up in the Lazio area. Um, Seeing them win today was pretty cool. Um, And how they've continued to grow as a team, uh, beating the likes of a Dortmund, which is pretty exciting. Uh, But AC Milan was the team that I kind of got me really excited about international soccer. Um, you know, when I was in high school, it was, I grew up in New England, so I was ba- mainly focused in on the revolution. 
Uh, Clint Dempsey opened me up to the Premier League, but AC Milan kind of opened me up to, you know, the, the soccer in Europe and kind of that next level. Uh, and, you know, when Pirlo was playing and before that, when like Inzaghi and Tita and Maldini, those like incredible Italian legends. Uh, so I'm really excited to see them at the top of the table again. And I hope they continue to stay up there for this year to compete for a title. And then hopefully for next year to be back in a champions league uh, spot to be uh, competing in that would be really exciting too. So Syria, it's another league that ESPN plus has. So I will definitely be watching a lot of that this year, uh, especially because the Premier league is locking games behind Peacock going to be a lot more italy uh and germany games this year i think so quick stop in in spain and italy there we're going to now move on to today's games in champions league um i think we can definitely start with that lazio dortmund game uh that result three to one with immobile getting them started scoring against his old team in the sixth minute and then basically running away with it. Halan got one back to make it two to one, uh, but they were able to score uh, a third pretty much right away after that. I think that's a bit of a shock for, for somebody who might not know of Lazio because they were a team last year that has really skyrocketed over the last couple of years, especially last year. And I know for you as a Hiroslav Kloza fan, you know Lazio very well. Um, but this has kind of been a big jump for them, I think, to be in Champions League and to right away get a big result in one of the groups that could be you know, deemed one of the more competitive. So how big of a win do you think that is for them? And how big of a loss do you think that is for Dortmund? Yeah, I think if you're if you're Lazio, that's that's the perfect the perfect result, uh, obviously. And a little you know a little bit of luck kind of went their way. They got the own goal for their second. Um, Halan's goal was as per usual an absolute truck stick where he just ran into the box and rammed it past the keeper. Dude continues to be one of the most phenomenal talents in Europe, but. Yeah, I think Lazio in Italy, they'd, they'd been a team that was kind of like hovering around the, the top places for a while. And I think having having a real run at Champions League this season for them, you know, it, it, it does kind of showcase the talent that they have in that team. Uh, you mentioned Immobile. I mean, he's he's been incredible for them since he signed for them. Um, some of the other guys in their team, they're, they almost have like a – a team of very few kind of sexy names, you know, besides uh, Immobile and Milinkovic Savic, you know, not a ton of the guys on that team are going to immediately strike you as like, Oh my God, superstar. But they've, they just have from back to front, a very solid team of experienced players um, that, work and i think that's as important as having the young flashy ridiculous talents um and if you play to your strengths there's there's no telling how far you can go in knockout football so i think 
you know, it, it is good to see them performing well. Dortmund is definitely a big scalp for them to be able to beat a team that comfortably that is that good. So I think that bodes well for them moving forward just in terms of, you know, progressing out of the group is very likely for them now because they beat a very good team already. So, yeah, that's a huge result. Um, I think, you know, Club Bruges got the result over Zenit in the other game in this group, which was very much another one that we was not predicted to happen. Um, congrats to American Evan uh, Ethan Horvath, uh, goalkeeper for them. He got Horvath. to play be- because <laughs> Mignolet was injured. Uh, so he led them to a 2-1 result. So, yeah, I think with those results happening, Lazio is in a really good place to go out and potentially get one of the top two spots there. Uh, I think Dortmund will bounce back from this. I, it's, I wouldn't be surprised if they potentially run the rest of this table once they go through, um, you know, when they see each other again, we could see, you know, the game go either way, but I think Dortmund and Lazio will probably do well in both of their games with Zenit and club Bruges. So that won't be too much, of a difficult group. I don't believe um, we saw a lot of the results kind of across the board. Otherwise went the way they should have Barcelona won five to one uh, Juventus won two nil. Um, I think a couple of the ones that are interesting to look at are obviously the man United PSG game. We talked about a little bit. Um, man, you getting that win I think is huge because that, group is potentially the group of death with the with those three psg man united and rb leipzig uh leipzig got a two nil result i think if man united want to get out of this group they had to win this game um because i don't see i don't see leipzig losing to united and they were i think they were winning against PSG when they played in champions league last year in the semifinals and they ended up kind of throwing it away. You know, they're going to be stoked to play that team again. Uh, And PSG is a team that has a lot of firepower. They're going to get results as well. United winning this game, I think potentially sets them up to get out of this group with PSG potentially being the team that might not make it out. Uh, do you agree with that? Do you think I'm crazy? What are your so you, thoughts? So you think of that of that threesome, you think PSG is the most likely one to miss out. You think I, you think Leipzig has a better chance than they do? I do. I think for sure Leipzig has a better chance than PSG does. I think the question mark is PSG or Man United. Interesting. That that may qualify as a hot take, Greg. I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I don't think it can though, because Leipzig are, we've seen them continuously progress under, uh, under Nagelsmann. They are pretty sure they're at the top of the table right now in Germany. Let's take a peek. They're top of the table in Germany right now. Um, they, yes, they lost Timo Werner but they re-upped with some quality signings across the board. They didn't get rid of their best players outside of Werner, like an Upamecano, 
um, uh, Sabitzer, Campbell, uh, all of those, you know, midfield players who are just super dynamic. And they still have guys like uh, Yusuf Polson and, and Kunku to score goals. And when you have Angelino score both of your goals, an outside back, then you see that team has across the board defensively and offensively are just really dangerous. I do not see them not getting out of this group. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're definitely very strong. Uh, I think one of their biggest assets is the, the physical strength in that team is unreal. They can play so many different ways. They can play very physical. They can play counterattack with the speed that they have. They can play high press with the athleticism that they have. And, Spurs played them in the Champions League last season. And, you know, we, even though we were missing Kane and Son at the time, they just outperformed us all over the pitch. Um, so I, it's definitely not a case of disrespecting Leipzig and the talent they have. It's just when I look at PSG and Man United, they have more potential match winners in their teams and even looking at uh the united game today like that rashford's goal to win that game in like the 87th minute was a sick finish like just perfect down low out of the keeper's grasp basically an off the post and leipzig are a are a team strength type squad, but if they if they go up against a team that can really equal them in terms of physicality or you know defensive strength, do I trust a Yusuf Polson to find a breakthrough in a game like that more than I trust Neymar or Marcus Rashford? No. So I think it, it's it's interesting. It's 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 kind of a you know what what side of the debate are you on? Do you think a stronger team can can carry you through or do you think having those individual match winners pop up at crucial moments can carry you through for me it's 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 psg and man united's group to lose but i can i can see why you respect leipzig because they they are a very strong squad that's for sure that is the i feel that is the the most entertaining group to watch and to see what's going to happen i think me there might be one or two others where you could see you know, a team who shouldn't, I think maybe like the Inter, um, Real Madrid and Gladbach group is another one. Um, but everything else kind of seems to be pretty straightforward. So that is definitely one to watch. We're going to have to see um, what ends up happening, but it very much could be one of those three missing out. Um, and it would be pretty pretty tough to see, you know, a team like a PSG who was in the final last year not make it or a team like a, a Leipzig who was in the semifinals last year, not make it. So yeah. I guess Man United should just lose and that would just save everyone <laughs> some problems. But listen, I, I wouldn't object to Man U <laughs> getting knocked out of that group. I just, something tells me that they will find a way to, to kind of force their way through. I think there's, even if they're underperforming right now, there's a ton of talent in that team. Pogba, Fernandez, Rashford, and De Gea, was was good today as well made some really nice saves so i think for me i just kind of lean a little bit united there over leipzig but it, i mean it's close um tomorrow a couple games 
that could be decent. Um, just looking through the schedule. So we have Bayern, Atletico Madrid. Mm-hmm. Could be a good one. Uh, I actually think Inter Milan Gladbach will be a decent game. Uh, I, I wouldn't sleep on Gladbach. They're not, they're they're not an exciting name, but they they can cause teams problems. They're not they're not the worst squad out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Man City Porto. Again, I think you know in the Premier League, Man City have kind of been being carried by Sterling in the absence of their injured forwards. I I wonder if he's able to kind of keep that form up in Europe. Um, so I think Man City Porto is is a decent game, and then mm-hmm. Liverpool Ajax. Uh, should also be pretty fantastic. So there's there's a good slate of games on for tomorrow. So if you uh, have a job where you're working from home or you're off or you're fun employed and you have some time around 3 o'clock, you know, tune into one of those games. It should be worth your time. Yeah, absolutely. Um want to touch base with Manchester City real quickly because I don't think this is being discussed as much as it should be with Sergio Aguero, who's a player who I really – you know, you know, I'm still a fan of him. I still think he's a quality player um, in the things he does on the field. But weird moment from him in their game with him putting his arm on the linesman's neck, basically. I saw uh, this that. Was a, yeah. a female linesman. Um, just a really odd choice from him when he's trying to argue, you know, ball out of play or whatever it was. Um, but to not really have anything happen in this situation where we see people getting carded or getting retroactively fined or carded when they do it to, you know, a man or or to anybody else, honestly, um, it seemed odd that this one hasn't been really discussed very much and two, nothing is being done to Aguero to address this as well so you know was a little disgusted by it um didn't really like it watching it really made my skin crawl a little bit uh (laughs) so definitely think it's something that needs to be addressed um and i think even pep guardiola said like his response was really not great either like basically saying it is what it is uh so i just think it's something that should be really focused on a little bit more than it is right now. Yeah. I, I saw there was some chatter online about it, but I think technically no matter whether, whether or not the ref is male or female, you're not supposed to touch the ref. Any ref is well within their rights to card you for touching them in any way, whether it's a male ref or a female ref. And I, I used to ref when I was in high school and college and we were definitely taught like second a player touches you coach touches you throw them out. They, they shouldn't be doing that. It's it can, that type of situation can escalate very quickly. I don't, I don't think he meant to do it maybe in like a threatening way, but it's just completely unnecessary to do in the first place. And it brings up the question of like, would he have done it if it was a male linesman? Maybe he would have, but uh, it it just seems kind of needlessly weird and and it's a controversy that 100% does not need to happen if he just keeps his hands to himself 
I don't know much about Aguero as like a person or I don't really think he has a reputation as being certainly not now, maybe earlier in his career, he was more of a hothead, but yeah, I, I agree. It's just not, it wasn't necessary and it, and it's, it's just a weird way to violate someone's personal space for no reason at all. Yeah. It just wasn't Uh, great. And that, and you just reminded me what Pep said is Pep called him. Yeah. He's a good guy. Sergio Guerrero is a good guy is what he said. Um, so just a, a weird response, just a weird way to explain away something. Um, yeah, it's almost like that's like, that's where your mind goes, but it's, it's almost not, really relevant like i'm sure he's a good guy but there's there's no reason like any of us at work right like because that's his job and he's a professional soccer player if i go up to somebody at my job and initiate unwanted contact i'm going to get in trouble for doing that because it's incorrect and it's improper in the workplace it's improper to do it on the street to somebody so like it's kind of weird that and I think this is definitely a case of like the athlete bubble that he kind of thinks he can just do these things because, oh, well, I'm a famous athlete and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I, it's not a great look. Pep kind of trying to hand wave it away isn't a great look either. But uh, I am surprised that more of a big deal isn't being made out of it. But then again, the sort of the theme of the pod this week is the English FA not punishing players for stupid stuff that they do. So it's not really that surprising. Yeah, not at all unfortunately um but just something to address something to be on the lookout for uh you know we never know they might even take a little bit more time to retroactively pull pull him out of future games so if you don't see aguero on the field that might be why um so we've touched base a little bit of games tomorrow uh then on thursday europa league kicks off uh let's see if there's anything uh leverkusen versus nice could be an interesting one um, decent German German side versus a pretty decent uh, France side with one of your favorite players, Casper Dolberg, uh, on that Dolberg. Nice, on that Nice side. Uh, let's see where else we have. Leicester playing some completely random team. Um, <laughs> this is the group of death, I think, in um, Europa League with Celtic, Milan, uh, Sparta Prague, and Lille. Celtic play Milan, AC Milan, so that would be a very good matchup. So two powerhouses, you know, past powerhouses playing against each other uh, with a very young and upcoming French side in Lille. Sparta Prague's also a team that is just always, always around in those Europa League games. Uh, Tottenham have their game against LASK. Um, so plenty going on on Thursday as well to tune into. And then this weekend, I think the big ones in the Premier League Manchester United versus Chelsea. Chelsea, just a team that can't really decide what kind of team they're going to be. Are they going to be a good goal-scoring team? Are they going to be a defensive team? Are they going to be both and neither at the same time? It's definitely not the good defensive team right now. <laughs> that That's definitely not it. So that will be a good matchup. Arsenal versus Leicester will be another great matchup. Uh, so plenty of games over the next week and beyond. Now that Champions League and Europa League have started, basically... Every single day, you're going to have a pretty good game to watch. So we will have much more to talk about in future episodes of the Sunday Soccer Show, which we will try and get done on Sundays in the future. But you just never know. We might pop up on a Wednesday. 
I don't think we'll pop up on a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Um, but you know, well, you might see us on some more Mondays and Tuesdays moving forward. Um, again, because we get to do whatever we want with this um, <laughs> as we continue to make it grow. Uh, there have not been any new articles over the past week, but still be on the lookout for new articles up on the website, patternsplaypod.wordpress.com. Um, at one week, Smitty, I'll be able to say it right without messing so up. There should be like a quiz for you at the end of every episode, if you can say it. <laughs> You're like Ron Burgundy with the teleprompter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so new episodes of the podcast go up on there. And then, like I said, articles are up there as well. Uh, we will have plenty more coming for you. Um, and I'm putting this out there because I'm still trying to find someone who is interested in co-hosting another show within the patterns of play podcast realm, um, to cover the women's professional soccer side of the game. Um, watching a lot of the WSL the Women's Champions League is going to be kicking off very soon as well. Um, the German Bundesliga and the French League are all quality sides with the NWSL wrapping up this past week uh, in the United States. There'll be a lot going on in Europe. So if you are interested in taking in joining the Patterns of Play community, please feel free to reach out on Twitter at Patterns Play Pod. Shoot us an email as well patterns of play pod at gmail.com more than willing to bring some more people on to do uh, some more shows and if you're interested in maybe even joining schmitty and i for a future episode let us know we'll have some guests on more than happy to talk about whatever your favorite team is uh, and how well or not well they are doing so uh, schmitty is there anything else that you would like to bring to the table for this week's episode Nah, I'm actually very impressed with your with your closing statements there. That was really really solid. But I I agree. Love to love to chat with pretty much anybody about all things footy. So, um, good shouts and another good episode in the books. And like you said, hopefully we'll be uh, back to our normal Sunday night show uh, this week. But honestly, of all weeks to have to record on a Tuesday, kind of worked out for us. So worked out well with Champions League starting up. So. Thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of the Sunday Soccer Show presented by the Patterns of Play podcast. Like I said, we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for tuning in and have a great rest of your week.